Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Luke Sharkey is an Australian landscape and nature photographer, passionate about inspiring people to travel and see the beauty of the world around them. Luke originally trained as a quality assurance professional with a Bachelor of Science degree and has worked for some of the world's largest food and beverage companies, ensuring the quality and integrity of their products. The quality of Luke's work has been recognised by awards in many photography competitions, publications in books, calendars and magazines, and work with corporate clients, tourism organisations and charities. A regular contributor to Australia Geographic magazine, where he's had two covers, His first feature story in the magazine was published in 2018 on the remote Western Arthur Range in Tasmania. Luke also contributes images and articles to the Australian Photography Magazine by running photography workshops for many clients each year across Australia. Luke has been fascinated by the natural environment ever since he was a child and has been able to merge his interests with a love of bushwalking to photograph some of Australia's most stunning and wild natural environments. We discuss his favourite place to photograph, Tasmania, immersing himself in the World Heritage List of Wilderness, his decision to move into full-time photography and relocate there from Sydney, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Luke. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. I've just um, gotten back from a couple of weeks of travel, so just uh, tends to be um, quite busy at the back end of the year, and so I'm away quite a bit and then come home and have to get used to life back in the in the, you know the place I live and then you're back off again a few days later so fair enough, um, fair enough. in that phase at the moment if, if you don't mind where where are you being oh, I went over to South Australia this last trip um, which is actually where my family is from it's where I was um, brought up and it was nice to spend some time on Kangaroo Island with my folks and then nice. I had a job over there as well um, photographing uh, a, a business on the Murray River and so I was actually on a houseboat for a few days um, which was Very nice. quite quite pleasurable yeah <laughs> one, of, one of the nicer shoots I guess yeah definitely I am very lucky that I get to have some pretty cool experiences with some of the shoots that I do but I have to say it is is very hard work at the same time so uh you'd sort of yeah um I guess it's a work hard I wouldn't say play hard but um yeah it's definitely uh, nice to be working in such a nice environment fantastic so why don't we start with uh your earliest photography memory where 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 did you first pick up a camera and uh, say, okay, this, this feels nice? Oh, that's a, um, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, I, I feel like I've always been into photography. My dad had um, a whole bunch of uh, Nat Geo magazines and, mm-hmm. and books um, on the bookshelf that, that were like very picture heavy and a lot of um, Steve Parrish wildlife books. Uh, and I would look through them very often uh, I guess back in the day, not so much TV or social media or anything else to distract you. So I was looking through that and, and I didn't really read them, but I was just always looking at the pictures and admiring them and wondering, you know, if I could ever take photos like that one day. And and I'd always had that kind of passion from, you know, being able to capture the natural world uh, from that without actually being able to do it. And, um, you know, growing up, we had 
access I had some access to film cameras and things but didn't really get into it because I you know um, didn't want to have my family have to pay for the film and and all of that aspect <laughs> of things so I didn't really um, get into photography until uh, digital came through uh, and that's when you know the Canon started to release their more inexpensive um, DSLRs yep. and so when they came out um, I was like well I've always been interested in this photography thing and I don't know if I'm any good at it but uh, I'll I'll give it a go and so I um you know spent $1600 which is a crazy amount of money for me at the time on a, yep, a yep. 450d and a, a kit lens setup which is um, uh, kind of hard to imagine paying that much money for something like that now but uh, it was um you know something that was really really good to be able to um just get stuck into and i really cut my teeth i suppose on um when i was living in melbourne on on the the cityscape there i was really taken aback by the skyline i guess i've moved over there from adelaide yep. and um, adelaide doesn't have much in the way of a skyline so it was really nice to yeah, be there's, able a, there's to... a couple couple of tall buildings well it's getting there i suppose isn't it but um <laughs> compared to melbourne and you know I had the big eureka tower and the rialto and uh, the beautiful yarrow river and all of the reflections in the river um at the time there was also a big um ferris wheel in birarung ma there um it was just a really beautiful uh, cityscape and so I, I really got stuck into cityscape photography um and uh, would be going out after work every night uh and um, I, I worked out that blue hour was probably the best time to be photographing when there was still a bit of residual ambient yep. light in the sky and uh, i didn't have any filters so it was also a good time to shoot not having any filters and getting long exposures yeah. so um yeah and that's sort of how it all all began really um oh. shot a lot in melbourne yeah nice nice you've moved on from melbourne though now you're in uh i, I think in australia one of the best landscape photography locations in uh in tasmania now um why, why the move and was was it a conscious move because of work or was lifestyle what what prompted that oh yeah well um i actually did a, a stint in sydney in between so um wow. I, I had a corporate career so i was actually working as a, a microbiologist and a um, food scientist and uh quality assurance representative for the Coca-Cola company. And so I was like a corporate seagull, like flying around to all of the different capital cities and doing audits and all of mm -hmm. those exciting things. And, um, and, you know, Sydney's an amazing city. And uh, while I was there, I, my, I moved on from the cityscapes that I was shooting in Melbourne. And I guess um, Sydney's got a lot more outdoorsy things to do and and great like rock pools and beaches. Yeah, yep. um, I, I was based um, before I left up in um, uh, the Northern Beaches at uh, Warrywood or North Narrabeen. And and so, you know, I had Tarramatta Beach and, and North Narrabeen pool just, you know, two or three minutes drive away. So it was nice. really nice to be able to get stuck into the landscape side of things. I was very lucky to have um, some friends in Sydney that were quite adventurous and were able to go out to, you know, doing canyoning and, and um, snow camping in the, um, yeah. in the Blue Mountains, um, sorry, in the, in the um, snowy mountains. And so it was really great to get, and that's where the landscapes came from. And then I basically, my passion for photography essentially took over the passion that I had for the career that I had mm. and um, had to make a difficult decision or, or was a, I don't think it was difficult, but it was one that I labored on probably for a few years about quitting yeah. my career. Uh, and so I quit it 
And um, yeah, within a few months of quitting uh, that in Sydney, I'd moved to Tassie uh, and I'd, I'd always travelled to Tassie for all of my uh, annual leave. Uh, I fell in love with Tassie uh, after I did the Overland track. Um, I think it was back in 2013. And yeah, right. so most of my uh, annual leave was spent, uh, any, any time I really could imagine, uh, manage, um, I would spend in Tasmania. And that really uh, was uh, my place. And so having the opportunity to move down there, I, I sort of took it straight away. I didn't have any family or that many connections in Sydney outside of the work that I was doing. So, yeah, sure. um, yeah so that's how I ended up in, in Tasmania. And it was, it was purely, it's probably the first time I moved where I, I'd made the decision for me rather than a career or anything like that. So it was yeah. quite a big deal. Mm. Talk us through a little bit about that decision to go full-time photography. Were you, I mean, everyone's conscious, you've got to make money out of it, got to uh, set yourself up. Did you sort of try and build up a bit of a cushion before you pulled the pin or were you sort of starting to transition before you got to the point where you actually pulled the pin oh uh, yeah so um it's always a good idea to have a bit of a nest egg behind you before you do that and i did have quite a lot in the bank in terms of savings i guess that was one of the benefits of having a, a high-flying corporate thing going on sure. Sure. Uh, and you know I, I also was able through that time to um you know purchase a lot of equipment as well so i'd, I'd very much set myself up with professional sony equipment shout mm -hmm. out to sony <laughs> uh and um they um and so that was really great to have all of that behind me and so that gave me a lot more um sort of a feeling of security in terms of um taking the plunge and yep. i guess from a decision itself um i you know i really really was i sort of said that the passion for photography overtook the passion for work but i mean my passion for work was really not there at all so from a decision perspective it wasn't so much about whether i'd enjoy doing photography it was more about you know that yeah like you're saying the financial aspects mm. and um at the time also um i'd worked on uh while i was commuting to work i had an hour commute from the northern beaches into north sydney yep. um i would be actually working on my social media profile and so over that time I made a conscious decision, I think at the start of 2014, to work on it. And then um, within a year or so, I had at least uh, 60, 70,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And so that was really fortunate because I could just repost all the shots that I'd already taken on Instagram. So that made it quite a bit easier. And through that, I'd made a lot of connections and I was actually able, at that particular time, there was, I guess um, they call it in inverted commas, influencer work. I like yeah, to think of yeah. it more as destination <laughs> marketing because it's not with fedoras and, and all of that stuff all the time. But um, there was a lot of travel trips going. And so, uh, you know, that that was uh, something that I was really seeking because, you know, if I was using all my annual leave up to go to Tassie and things like that, there wasn't really any other time available to me to to do some of these other trips that were were, were going. Obviously, yeah. they paid significantly less than than my salary, but I, I thought that you know I would be able to bring in enough from some of those opportunities to at least cover my costs and i you know i'm very aware that you're starting back off on the bottom rung of the ladder again and need to yeah. to keep working on it uh but um yeah it was definitely i uh, also had a lot of people asking me about running workshops and things so i started doing some of those things as well which i never really expected i was going to do but yeah. um you know it's a it's a really great way to to have some consistent income coming in so definitely. so it's sort of a, a combination of things there but 
uh, you know, and it was was very uh, hard work. Um, it's, it's still very hard work, <laughs> but um, it it is um, yeah. It, it, you do get there if you're forced to to do these things. It's like jumping into the deep end. You you kind of making yourself have to do it, and so yeah, you just adapt and and make it work. Yeah, this is it. I think the the important thing to remember is you know as you said, having that buffer there that you can you know, make sure that you're financially secure for, for a little while anyway, uh, while you start building. In terms of that building, how important is, do, do you think that uh, work around the marketing your personal brand through Instagram, et cetera, has been? I think Instagram, if I didn't, if I didn't, I, I talk about um, creating that account as my ticket out of my job. So yeah. I, I really firmly believe that if I didn't, uh, build a profile on there that uh, it would have I don't think I'd be in this position right now it was just the right time when I was doing it I don't think necessarily that you need to have a profile like that to make it work it was just the the sure, avenue that sure. I took and there are a few other photographers that that sort of went that way like um, Will Patino is another good example yep. um, where where those sort of um, accounts can could sort of help to build a profile that then could be a springboard to future work and other sort of relationships with tourism boards or, or other things like that. So um, certainly having that aspect was um, probably critical and, yeah. you know, developing a website as well. I spent quite a bit of time on that. Haven't really done so much on it more recently, but, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not actually a, typically a person that likes to go out there and promote myself. Um, so I found that very hard, but I just always tried to focus on putting up the best quality images that I could and making the captions engaging and, and um, you know, make uh, maybe um, help people to connect more with the imagery yep. and um, just, just go about it that way. And yeah, I still am very, I could be promoting things so much more, but uh, it's um, yeah, it's, I feel like the quality of images speak for themselves and yeah. uh, that that's, that's really been my sort of, ethos there i suppose fair enough fair enough do you think the boom time of social media is kind of over with that influencer style uh i i guess uh account or or do you think that's just evolving into more videography and uh you know move, moving to that short form video um sort of feel rather than the the still images yeah, I think that the um, the social the day of the social media trips uh, are certainly over. Uh, they they really were backing off um, quite a bit, um, sort of you know twenty nineteen, mm. and then COVID sort of just um, killed it. Yeah. Made made the end of that. There was obviously no point at, at that time. So uh, I think. Um, I don't know if it's going to come back how it was. I don't really, I think there's enough content out there that people can, um, you know, user generated content, essentially that the quality of content's getting very, very good. And so it's a lot easier for people, you know, brands and things to reshare content that's already been created. Mm. Uh, I'm finding most of my works coming from product launches and, and things where there's a more, more from a corporate um, perspective or, or, you know, um, yeah technology in that kind of aspect rather yeah. than than uh destination marketing so much mm. uh, and uh, i actually really love those jobs i actually feel like they were the the best work i've ever uh, done in terms of you're getting uh, paid by a tourism board to travel around 
yeah. a destination and quite often the other people traveling with you are, are very good friends of yours as well and you get yeah, to just nice. have complete freedom to create whatever work you would like so but you you know the, the pay is was <laughs> really not um anything to um live off of but um having said that we we still had full access to well, it, lots, images lots of pay in, so. pay by exposure well, like I just was saying too, though, like we we had full access to the images afterwards, so yeah. so we they would actually sometimes purchase the images from us. Um, uh, so that's additional income, or or it's just a really great portfolio build. So it's not necessarily a, a sort of a you're doing all this stuff for free um, when you when you can sort of lay it out there, and plus also the the relationships that you can build with those organisations as well is is really beneficial. Yeah. I want to move on to some of the stuff that's more personal to you. Yeah. Um, what is it that you're chasing most in your photography? What motivates you creatively? Um, well, I think um, I've, I've had a lot of thinking about that in terms of what what, I, what is it about photography um, that's kind of um, what, what makes me tick with it. And, and I, one, I think if I could distill it down to one word, it's beauty. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the the beauty of the natural world, and it's not just the natural world, mind you. It, it, like there's anything that's beautiful. Um, yeah. I'm very interested in capturing and uh, being able to yeah just create something that's beautiful and and help uh, and provide that to the viewer so that they can have um, I don't know a, a better day having seen something something sure. nice and have it on their wall or or see it on their feed. Uh, if I can create something beautiful, then then that's that's a con contribution that I can make to society, I suppose. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the main motivator. Uh, and also another one for me is um, moments in time as well, and and being able. I very much enjoy being able to. Uh, interesting. I had a conversation with someone more recently about. Um, the the power of visualization and, and visualizing an image and, and the argument was that you know if you're visualizing things then you're not going to be adaptable or, or things like that which is there's some truth to but for me if I can visualize an image um, and then I can actually plan for when the conditions are going to be right for that image yep. and go in and actually execute that image and create sort of exactly what I'd visualized or, or sometimes mm -hmm. maybe even better or slightly different but um, you know uh, it's similar. Um, I guess I get a lot of enjoyment out of that as well. And so that does drive me quite a lot um, as a, maybe a personal challenge or just a, um, I don't really know exactly the, the motivator itself, but yeah, yeah, I do, do very much enjoy that too. I was going to ask there, do you, have you found yourself doing that more often now having thought about it or was it just something that you were you're always kind of doing but weren't really conscious about it yeah I think um there's a few factors that have changed I think when you start working for yourself you actually have a lot less time when I was working yep. full-time I had the weekend I'll just go somewhere and I had the weekend to do yeah, you're driven and, to and that that timeline you got to yeah. be there and yeah, you just make the most of it. But yeah. now I can actually pick and choose when I do things. And so it's very important that, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, return on investment such a terrible way to look at doing photography. <laughs> but at the same time, if you've got limited time uh, anyway, you, you're much, um, it's much smarter to look at the conditions and um, plan for when they're right and then execute a plan and and get the shot rather than you know spending time and and missing out so but that's that's i guess because i'm 
you know, I've got those particular shots in mind and that's just yep. the way I approach things. Other people are much more exploratory and and they don't have shots in mind and, and just come up with things. And, and I do do that too, mind you. But yeah. um, for me, there's just something special about um, seeing a, a, a amazing subject, you know, maybe a big rock arch and then realizing you're facing west when you're looking at it, which means yep. that the Milky Way at some point is going to be over that rock arch. And yep. then yep. Um, maybe you want the moon to be lighting up the face of the rock arch. So you can actually, you know, work out the dates yeah. that yeah. that yeah. would actually happen. And, and astronomically then work that, that out. And yeah. And then actually the right be able to execute that and make it happen. And well, I think I get a big, <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. But then, you know, you can get very good at uh, predicting and planning for for clouds sure, as sure. well with the software and and um you know uh, if that doesn't work out at the location that you were hoping to go to then uh, you'll just um, change tact and, and go with somewhere else so um and i i think another thing that motivates me this now that i think of it is being able to conceive of those sort of shots and then you know potentially no one's shot it that way before yeah. and for me you know there's always a, a huge power in terms of uh, being able to create unique imagery and that's mm -hmm. one way that that can be done so yeah. uh, i think that's probably a, a big part of what drives me in that in that respect yeah okay so in terms of that planning process how how long would you spend in the planning of one of those shots that you visualized that might you know conditions might not be right for a year i guess for for some things so it might pop into your head to go and shoot that arch and you know that okay well I, I've, I've missed milky way season this year so it'll have to be next year that i do it yeah is it yep. is it that kind of length of time sometimes it can be it... yeah it definitely can be I, I, there's a there's a couple shots that i, I really want to get that um you know there's only a handful of dates each year that it works yep. and some of them are also quite remote locations as well so um, you know, there's a huge amount of physical commitment to get to those places to be there at the right time as well. Yeah. I mean, you can just go there and fluke it as well, which is one option as well. But um, you know, uh, you know, if you can plan it, then why not? So that that's that's definitely the case. I've had other opportunities where I've I've worked it all out in terms of when the right conditions are going to be, and it just so happens it's that night or it's the the next night, uh, and then you know the the moon will be too strong and that shot won't be on. And then because of the phase or my travel schedule, I wouldn't be able to do that again um, until the following year. So it's sort of like, oh, well, I might be flying out tomorrow morning, but I'm going to go to shoot that tonight because I know that if I don't do that tonight, then, um, you know, it might be next year. And then who knows what I'm doing next year at that time. So, yeah, yeah. There, there is um there is a, a fair degree of um, thought process behind that. And in terms of the planning itself, it's not necessarily... Take, doesn't necessarily take too long to do it. Um, you just get photo pills out and and work out all of the angles. And sometimes if it's a cliff or or there's something more, it's a three dimensional sort of thing where you don't you need to know what height the Milky Way is going to actually be yeah. to clear a, a subject. Then you might have to use some other software that like Google Earth or TPE 3D to actually work out timings and things mm. uh, if you don't have all night. Uh, and so so those sort of aspects. Um, you know, I might spend an hour or two on that. And then if I work out that that works on other dates, then I'll actually put them into my calendar as well. And, and just so that I can see coming up that that might be an opportunity, which I can yeah. then match with the weather. So, um, yeah, so there's there's a fair bit that, that goes into it. I've actually been creating my own personal app, um, which um, uh, shows all of the, the locations that 
um, I would like to photograph and actually I can create plans for all of them as well, which has been a bit of a game changer actually in terms of uh, uh, getting shots that I like and and being able to prioritize them. So yeah, there's, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm definitely a nerd with it all. I don't (laughs) certainly don't expect um, anyone else to to have to do any of that stuff, but I think (laughs) it's probably stems from the fact that I'm actually horrendously disorganized. And so if I don't plan these things like that, they're just never going to happen. Fair enough. <laughs> when did you? Uh, when did things click for you that uh, your photos shifted? I guess from taking a, a shot of an experience, you know, i.e., what you see in front of you, as opposed to doing something more artistic with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I see. So yeah, one thing I, I really struggle even to look at my work as art. I know that might okay. um, not sound right um, to some people or not, and I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that I don't feel that it could be, but I don't actually think of it that way. Wow. I guess okay. I, I just see it as a, a creative process or, or something. I'm just capturing something beautiful, and what's the absolute most beautiful uh, conditions? What's the, you know, how can I do it in the best possible way? And so... Yeah. Um, you know, it just might be the way my brain works, but I'm, yeah, I'm definitely trying to just, just to distill that down as, as best I possibly can. Mm. And, um, you know, if that, that, turn, that, if that makes it art, then that, then that's awesome. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly open to that. Uh, but for me, it's just about capturing the moment and, and, um, and being able to present that in the, uh, you know, accurately and, uh, in a way that is engaging as well. Yeah. 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 How would you define success in your photography? Uh, I don't like. I don't know if I like the S word very much. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, just because, like. Well, you know, I mean, you you go out, you take your shots, you come back, you process them, and you go, yeah, "It was okay." Versus, "Hey, this is fantastic." What what uh, what switches from that? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's definitely just a feeling for me. Then, in that case, like. Um, if I come back from a shoot and I feel like I've got some shots that I'm very happy with and that's mm-hmm. successful, um, and I guess you could then say, well, how do you know if you're happy with them or not? And I think for me, it's more like a visualization thing again. Like yeah. I, I'm, I've got some level of expectation of what I might be able to create, and and if I exceed that or, or create something on the same level, but in a, you know, it ends up being quite different, but I'm still happy with the quality of it. Then then for me, that's that's very successful as well. Um, but um, yeah, and I guess ordinarily, there's not too many times I go out where I don't feel like it was worth it because um, I think one of the key skills of landscape photography is being adaptable and, and being able to read the conditions and and, and pivot on that and, and find something else if, if what you're expecting doesn't work out. So uh, I certainly don't like visualize something and then uh, just go straight at that, and if if that, um, and just try and make it work no matter what. Um, I'm, you know, I always say you need to know when to hold them and when to fold them, yep, as the yep. great quote says. So you know it's always important to have that kind of a go no go kind of phase where where you change to something else. Uh, but um, yeah, it's definitely related to the the quality of the images that I'm capturing. And, um, yeah, I don't really consider it anywhere from a financial perspective or, um, you know, how many workshops I'm running or, or any of those sort of things as, as oh, being yeah. successful, uh, maybe from a sharing perspective. And you know, if I'm selling a lot of prints or, or I'm getting a lot of work out there and people are really engaging with it to me, that's, that's, um, also something that I, I would really want to do. Cause I feel like, you know, with photography, you, 
you're um, taking all this content and at the end of the day, you're really wanting to be sharing it. Uh, otherwise, yeah. you know, how do people know what you're up to? Oh, this is it. I, I, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, and, and expressing you shoot for yourself, which is fine in terms of making yourself happy with your own work. But if you're not sharing it, who's going to know that you're doing it? You know, it's kind of like I was talking to uh, another photographer a few weeks ago and uh, he said it's like you can be the most virtuosic uh, violin player, but if all you're doing is playing in your bathroom and not in a concert hall, how's anyone going to know? You know? Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, I, I, I agree with both aspects. So you definitely want to be photographing for yourself because you, you need to have that personal enjoyment with what you're doing and if, if everything that you're doing is for other people which i have had the experience of doing and it does take the gloss off it so it's, yeah, very, it's not as much very fun shooting to a brief is it <laughs> yeah well and that's what that's why i don't do weddings and, and things yeah. like that as well like for me it was very important that not that i'm not judging anyone that does but for me no, no, like I, quit, yeah. <laughs> I quit let um my job to do landscape so it's sort of if I'm open to the idea of getting into it in the future if that's something that I'm passionate about, but I, I can't, yeah. I don't feel that. Uh, maybe you shouldn't knock something till you try it. So there's, there's definitely that going there, but I have been quite steadfast in the fact that, you know, I should really only be working on projects and things that are aligned with what I'm interested in. And if I start to divert from that too much, uh, it can, you know, you can start to feel more like work rather than your passion. And and, and I think that will burn you out in the end. So, uh, so that's something just to really, you know, I'm really uh, careful with. Mm. In terms of that passion, what, how would you describe the feeling that you get when you're out in the field? Yeah. You know, yeah, for me, it's um basically I, I do I basically do lose myself, so I'm not even thinking about anything else but taking the pictures. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, I am thinking about my personal safety and you know at making sure I eat and oh. and where to camp that night or whatever. But in terms of, you know, I, you know, it's, it is pretty confronting after a trip actually coming home because I haven't thought about everything for, for five days or however long it's been yeah, uh, yeah. that I'm out. And then all of a sudden everything you had to do and your whole life just floods back um, onto you. So, um, so that there's a bit of a, a flip side to it, I suppose, but uh, for those moments when you're out there, um, it is, it is quite blissful in a way because you really are, it's like, I guess you could say it's like a meditation or an intense focus. And uh, I try yeah. to keep things where, um, I'm just focused on, you know, um, I'm just taking photos now. And I actually, when I'm home, I quite often don't take many photos on a day-to-day -day basis. And then I'll go out on these trips and I'll take thousands and thousands of photos. So it's a, it's a very all or nothing thing for me, how I yeah. operate. Um, and I feel like that, um, that's nice to be able to get home and then switch off from it as well. And then mm. it's nice to go out and then be just completely intense with it and, and, um, just a, a total immersion. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. If someone asked you to describe your style, what would you say? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very aware that people have styles and I can definitely pick people's work from a style. And uh, I, I feel like it's kind of asking you to look in your, a mirror and describe what you look like. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a challenge to do that. 
but uh, I would like to think that my images are very clean, very, you know, uh, ac true true and accurate to the, the scenario. And I'd love yep. for people to sort of see that and go, wow, it's actually like that there. That's amazing. Mm. Um, so, and also, um, yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I'd like to, like to really love that people think that of my images. Um, and, uh, I'd like to have a strong subject generally as well. Yep. And, and some sort of lead into that subject or some sort of, uh, astronomical figure or, or other, um, other sort of natural occurrence happening around that as well. Uh, I really enjoy focusing on, uh, wildflowers or, or, you know, when I go to a location will be what's different about this location this time and I should really focus on that so it's a lot of the time it's you know with um uh, different environmental situations that might only happen at certain times so that that, that can also be a factor uh, I'm aware that's not really talking about as much of a creative style as, as content but um yeah the, I think I'll leave it for other people to describe what my <laughs> what, what my creative style might be <laughs> Well, I guess the, the follow-up for, for, for me is always how do you feel that is developing for you and uh, is it still developing? Is it something that you consciously think about in terms of your, your creative style or is it something that you kind of go, okay, well, it is what it is and it'll evolve on its own? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's, for me, I have had times where I've I've reflected on that, and now I I don't really. The only thing I would look at is, um, for example, I I really love black and white, and I really love infrared photography, and I really don't do very much of it. And uh, a big part of that um, is actually that social media uh, doesn't really reward. Yeah, that it doesn't play well there, does it? Instagram. Which is, um, I, I, yeah, I, know I think Vero might be a little bit better. I've yeah. been getting into that a bit, but I, I you know, I, I've been on Instagram for a long time and, and certainly have tested black and whites a few times and, and the response is always yeah. um, much less um, than, than, and not that it's about that, but you do want to maintain an audience and, and sure. um, keep yeah. people looking at your images. But um, I'm, I'm very keen to do more of that. So I think it's more about where, wh what aspects would I love to engage with more? I'm, I'm actually interested in doing a little bit more environmental portraiture type work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I really enjoy drone photography and so getting into that a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, it's just trying to find, I guess, new and different areas to focus on. And I'm always trying to find something that's a little bit different or a bit, gives your work a bit of an edge. Um, there's so many so many photographers out there so it's always nice to Absolutely. focus on um techniques or or things that that sort of make your work stand out a little bit yeah yeah um one of the things that uh you've done i, I say recently but it's been going for a, a few years now you teamed up with paul hole and nick monk and you've got your youtube channel talking landscape photography which for those that haven't seen it, it's one of the best landscape photography channels out there. Oh, um, how did that start? How did you how did you team up with those guys? And uh, what what's the genesis of uh, talking landscape photography? Yeah, well, um, I think Nick and I had always talked about doing a podcast or or some sort of um thing just to talk about landscape photography, which is no yep. surprise. That's where the name came from. I think um we. Uh, Paul and I are dear friends as well, and, and Paul, Paul can talk the ear off of whatever the saying is. Uh, so it was always going to be good from that perspective. Um, and uh, I think from our 
it, it was definitely born out of COVID. So we were all, you know, everyone's sitting around, um, people didn't know what to do, you know, and we thought, well, you know, the, there's no, why don't we sort of create a place where the photography community could actually tune into and, and get some information on a, well, at that time it was it weekly, which is pretty intense frequency actually to, to yeah. do a live, live show like that. But having said that, when you're sitting at home and, and, you know, you can't travel that, you know, you've got time to actually put into organizing those sort of things. Yeah. So we basically, yeah, just thought, um, why don't we just do something that people can tune into? It, initially, it was all run on Zoom, and and then we sort of uh, pivoted and and really pushed it through YouTube more so. And and that was yeah. the the main reason was just to uh, I guess take the pressure off those live sessions uh, and make it more intimate with our actual uh, guest uh, rather than having everyone else on there. So. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, and we, we really have never tried to monetize it as such. I think the, the only thing we're really doing now is running, uh, you know, workshops under that sort of name just to just to help to, um, you know, get get a few uh, dollars in the door. But uh, yeah. other than that, it's really just a, something that we're doing for the community. And, and we really do it because we love it, you know, and, and yeah. I think the, yeah. the, the reason that we do it live and the reason we're still doing it and we're almost hitting our 100th show, it's the end, yep. end of um, November is number 100, which is quite hard to fathom. Um, it's really that we've done it live and it's going up warts and all and we don't have to do anything at the end of it so i, I yeah. know for a fact if we had to edit it and i've got a lot of respect for you being able to edit all these episodes <laughs> if i had to sit down and, and do all of that extra thing uh it just would never have continued because it's just yeah. some, uh, like an additional time drain but being able to just um sort out a guest and and click the live button and, and have a chat for an hour or two um is really yeah just been brilliant and all the people i've been able to meet through it connections that we've been able to made make is um has been very very rewarding uh from that so and um yeah we'll, we'll hopefully be able to continue into next year with it it's very challenging with with managing schedules and finding yeah, guests and um yeah, and making it all work and we're having to rely a lot more now on pre-recorded episodes because it's quite challenging to have everyone there at the same time yeah, yeah, and so um, which which is not we don't actually want to do. We'd much rather do it live. It's actually quicker and easier doing it live. There's more work involved in pre-recording. Yeah. Um, uh, at the same time, we're we're very determined to to keep it going because you know we do have a, a you know a core following there that really enjoys tuning in and 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 uh, watching the guests that we have on. So um, yeah. you know, we've got a, another show on next week, and yeah, hopefully run through till um, just before Christmas and. And um, yeah, see see where things go out from there. So, nice. uh, yeah, but yeah, it's been a special thing to do. Yeah, I, for me, one of the nicest things about it is that what's and all approach is very open, honest. It's not as polished as some of the, and I'm not. That's not denigrating. Oh, don't worry. Oh, like we, oh, I, we've yeah. gone. I, I've, I, I'm a perfectionist, so it's very hard to. to I, not I do like that. the rough edges. Yeah. Though. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but we just have to. Um, yeah, it, either that or it's just not going to happen. So, yeah. and that's, you know, I think that's one thing, one reason why the following hasn't, you know, been astronomical because it's, it's no, we're, we're not, they're long form chats as well. A lot of people don't have that amount of time. That's it. Um, you know, we're not putting production value into it. We're just, it's all about the content and the the discussion. Yeah. And, and, and there's been some incredible guests and information that I've learned from the time that we've been on there. So it's um it's really great to think that we've, 
talk to all these people and and you know some of these people might have had many interviews and you can actually go on youtube and hear all about their story and, and their photography yeah. and and i think that's a really special thing and i think the other part of it which you know i i certainly can't do with an audio podcast is that you can actually see some of the people's work which you know. that's um that was actually another big motivator too and you know paul's yeah. a Paul's a fantastic um, critiquer and, and judge as well. So, and, and just, you know, being able to like have an image up on the screen and actually be able to discuss it uh, is a yeah. huge asset. And and I know that podcasts are very easy for people because they listen on their commute and, and things like that, but there's quite a power to be able to actually look at an image and actually discuss it or play a video and, and, and see what the content is there. So that, that kind of, uh, format um, I was always attracted to. Uh, I, I I would really love to be able to have a clips channel where we can just um, cut out like the all of the the amazing little um, nuggets of information that, that yeah. that's been there over a period of time. Uh, maybe one time we'll have a have some time to actually do that. Uh, but um, yeah, that that's definitely um, yeah a big factor there. Yeah, fair enough. In terms of where you shoot, obviously living in Tasmania, you spot for choice with uh, lots of different landscape types. You've got seascapes, you've got mountains, you've got uh, you know rainforests. Some of the some of the best and most pristine rainforests in uh, in the world, let alone Australia. Um, what's your favourite place to shoot, and why? Oh, um, yeah, that's a Favourites are, favorites are an interesting one. I, I mean, yeah, fa- my favourite's definitely the, the southwest of Tasmania. Um, and I don't get there very much because it's is a challenge to do it. And, yeah, and not, also not the many people and all do because there's not too many roads. Yeah, well, yeah there's, not, there's not a lot of, um, you can't just drive up to some of these beautiful views and, and park yeah. in the car park and take a photo. They um, take commitment. And- yeah, they do, and and but that's all part of that's all part of the enjoyment. It's in type two fun or whatever they call it. Um, being yep. able to get out there and and uh, it's a it's a visual journey to get to these places. You're in the wilderness. Um, the landscape's doing what it's done for tens of thousands of years, and you're just a spectator to it. Yeah. And you're part of the wilderness. You know, you're walking through it. It's all over you. It's in yeah. your boots. It's in your hair. Whatever's left of it. And so. <laughs> yeah exactly yes so um and you're sleeping in it you're listening to it all the time like it's a, just a, such an immersive thing to do and on top of that having some of the I, I definitely think some of the southwest locations are the most beautiful places in the world and to to have that on your doorstep's pretty incredible but yeah you do have to I, I always say you have to work hard for it in Tasmania it doesn't often come to you on a yeah. on a little platter there uh, you can't just get chop it into many places and it was very, very much looked down upon to do that. So, um, so that's one, one area that I, I very much connect with and, and don't spend a lot of time there, but when I do, it's, um, very, um, rewarding and, and, you know, it, it's challenging work. And yeah. also in terms of sharing images from those locations, uh, it's a very sensitive area and very challenging to get to areas. So you don't want to be, um, parading everything around and telling people where everything is and and um, encouraging people to do things that may be beyond their capabilities. Mm-hmm. So there's also those kind of aspects to to consider with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think um, that's definitely um, the, yeah where, where I would be um, saying is my favourite. Okay, cool. Um, in terms of where you live, uh, how 
how do you feel that influences what, but also, and to me slightly more importantly, how you shoot. I'm re really interested in that nexus between location, uh, technique and subject and mm. how people sort of interrelate those three things. Yeah, well, I think um, it's a really interesting question and, and Tasmania's kind of got a lot of heritage, I suppose, in terms of um, great landscape photographers and um, and wilderness photographers. And I, I have to I have to admit that, you know, my probably my greatest inspiration is someone like Peter Dombrovskis, who, mm -hmm. um, you know, is a very famous uh, wilderness photographer. And, uh, you know, he's created or, or, you know, over that year, over those years, there's definitely a Tasmanian style and it's a very um, straight up kind of landscape. You're not really tinkering with anything. Um, you can yep. certainly enhance it. Uh, but, you know, the idea is to respect it and, and to present it um, okay. uh, truthfully. And so that's definitely part of my process. Um, doesn't mean I don't touch things up here and there, but it's not like dropping in skies or, or um, you know, moving things around or warping or anything like that. So that's sort of an important um, part of it for me. And I guess you could also say because I'm putting so much planning into these shots and trying to execute them in real life, I suppose. I'd, I'd much rather create a, a magical image in the camera than a beautiful moment in Photoshop. And yeah. so uh, for me, it's really important to be able to, 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 you know, say that that's what was there in terms of, um, I, I really like um, more recently getting up closer to subjects and, and helping them to fill the foreground and using the foreground to help tell the story. Mm. Um, I'd love to do that even more. Uh, it's very challenging to do. And I, I'm, I am a, uh, you know, I I find it hard to have patience sometimes to to do big focus stacks or um, you know, some uh, median stacks of you know forty five panels and yeah, stitching yeah. all that together. It's not really how what I do. I, I much rather take one photo and 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 do it right in one photo than having to yeah. put all of these photos together over a course of days in 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 post processing. Um, but yeah, I love, um, Pandani, which is a, a local, uh, um, sorry, Tasman endemic species, which is, looks like a, maybe the top of a pineapple or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, beautiful, beautiful plant. And that, that makes for incredible foregrounds. It looks amazing in infrared, uh, and, um, different flowers like Scoparia, um, which is, a um, related to Pandani actually, uh, and all sorts of other native flowers and, and, um, Fagus as well, which is the native deciduous beech tree that yep. we have um, around Cradle Mountain and other areas. So there's always these um, annual occurrences that also, um, you know, ex excite you to get out. And obviously you've got your auroras and other other um, bioluminescence, other natural events. So working with those as, as subject materials really important um, as well. Um, and then incorporating those you know, it's all well and good to have scoparia flowering or, or phagus or, or, you know, bioluminescence, but how do you put that into a greater image? You know, it should be a, a great image if that bio was there or not. Um, yeah. So how do you make that work? And so that's for me, uh, 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 tying it all together and making it balance and, and harmonise is, is, is then the, the challenge with that too. And sometimes it just doesn't work and I don't feel like it was a, you know, a success, I suppose, with the S word there. Um, so, but, you know, other times it does. So uh, I don't know if I answered the question directly there. No, but, no, uh, that's, yeah. that's a fantastic answer. I mean, uh, I've, I've found obviously the whole spectrum from people that haven't really thought about it or 
they tend to travel to take photos because they live in a city and their suburban area is a bit like me. You know, I'm, I'm an hour from the beach, but seascapes are my, my favourite shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you're based up in Sydney, wasn't you? Yeah, I'm based yeah. in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you've got like the seascapes there. I, I, I still feel like it's the best seascape location in Australia, really, just in terms of if you had to live somewhere. Yeah, um, they're, they're on the Sapphire Coast. I reckon the Sapphire Oh, your Sapphire's pretty good too. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, Definitely, I'm a mate, Davy Rogers, down there. Um, he's he's um got more than enough to to keep him busy down there. So yes, Absolutely. I can totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I think you know some people uh, do think more deeply about that. You know how they how they interrelate between where they are, where what they're shooting, and how they're shooting. And you know, uh, for for me, it's really about you know, have you thought about it? what do you think about it and when you know when does that come up to the surface i guess mm, yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because yeah i definitely do have very strong kind of personal um decisions that i've made i suppose that you know i don't do this i do do that it doesn't yeah. mean that i can't try and and experiment outside of yeah. that and and be completely rigid to it like for example wildlife is not really something that i'd seek out but if i can put it into a landscape that's really great or um if if that's all that's on offer and i've got a long lens then why not sort of thing well, but i'm not going to be going out seeking wildlife photos unless there was a uh, an outcome required for that so um so that's sort of maybe an example of of the an approach there that that sort of just helps you because there's so many things you can do um, mm. like underwater photography is another good example I'd, I'd dearly love to be good at that and 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 spend time doing that but um I've, I've got to sort of put put some sort of barriers or limits to what i need to focus on because i'd rather be really good at certain things uh, and do you know do it well and sort of spread myself really thin across a whole bunch of things and yeah. and um get confused and spend money on this thing and that thing and and have a you know wardrobe full of all all this equipment that you're never using so uh yeah. so that that's um that's something that i I've been really clear on with myself and i I think those limits that you do put on yourself uh for for me anyway they they're quite important for actually bringing structure to what it is that you're producing uh, mm. as opposed to, you know, just, as you said, generically trying to do everything and, as you say, buying a load of gear that you, <laughs> you're only going to use once or twice. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, definitely. And, um, yeah, gear acquisition syndrome is real and <laughs> I, I definitely have it. So um, I don't need any encouragement to to buy the next latest greatest thing. So I, I, that's that's a might be a self preservation technique, perhaps um, okay. with that. But <laughs> definitely. What's your most memorable photography experience? Uh, I've I've got a few. Um, well, I've got many really to to to. But for me, like I always kind of go back to what sort of. Uh, firstly, first inspired me to get into wilderness photography, and that was uh, alluded to earlier doing the overland track, yep. um, which 
at the time when I did it, I remember getting ready for it. I spent thousands of dollars on bags and boots and gaiters and, you know, I didn't really have any, um, I didn't really even do any of that sort of stuff at all. Oh. And I remember thinking, you know, if I've bitten off way more than I can chew here. And even at the start of the walk, you know, the pack was way overweight and we yeah. went a different way and it was boggy and slipping over tree roots. And it was really, you know, much harder than I was expecting it to be as well. Um, and um, on the second evening um i had this experience where we were out shooting sunset at barn bluff which isn't a place you'd normally end up at sunset so it requires a bit of effort to to be out there at that time and um, i was standing on the track um looking at barn bluff and there was this huge big uh cloud over the top of the bluff um and it looked like a big ufo or something just sitting over the top oh, and it, it big, just like, with the like, sun yeah. Yeah, something like that. And as the sun was setting, it just lit up in this um, crazy orange color and wow. um, just a really powerful scene. And, um, you know, I, I managed to take a few images that night that I was very happy with. But I, I just remember standing on there watching that all unfold and the silence around me and uh, just, you know, I was the only person I could see uh, and just having that experience on my own, being out in the wilderness, uh, being out in nature and having that connection to it, I suppose. I actually understood it. I under, yeah. you know, really understood for the first time why people um, like to get out into those environments and actually um, spend the, you know, all that. Why, why would people bother doing that? You know, why would you go through all of, put yourself through all of that? I, I didn't never really could comprehend why. Why, why would you get up case. at three o'clock in the morning and go and take astro? You know. Yeah, well, that's right. Like all of those kind of aspects, I, I hadn't really clicked in. And then when you have that moment and that sort of fires up that passion, or or you can, you know, have that that deeper deeper experience. I suppose that that was a real instigator for me in terms of. Uh, I, I really need to get out here and do this thing more often, and um, and I think really from that time I, I did do started to do a lot more uh, outdoor, uh, I guess landscape photography. Uh, yeah. I I remember having a thought to myself, I don't know if I could do landscapes. Um, you know, well, my camera gear could get wet, and you know, I might um I'd have to get a bag that that could keep <laughs> all the rain out, and all the dust is going to get into my expensive lenses, and. You know, it's all of those sort of funny things that your brain goes to. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that I decided to to just go ahead with it anyway. And I think having those kind of experiences like the one I was talking about really helped to consolidate. And, and um, you just have to think about that time and, and then you're automatically planning the next one. It's very hard to very hard to say no. Yeah, I'm usually planning the next one before I leave on the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always good. And I think it's really important for your mental health too, actually, to have Absolutely. A, a trip like that to look forward to. And and like you might be working and things suck, but then you can just think, oh, well, I'm going to be in Tassie in two months. Come on, it can't be that bad. So that's, that's um, exactly so, it. Yeah, so, so that's definitely pretty awesome. But yeah, it's always, th those moments always involve a mountain or, or being out in the wilderness um, for me uh, and, yeah. and often solitude as well. I think um, if you can safely get out into these places and have time on your own or um, yeah, then, then it's, it's a really formative thing to do. Hmm. I was going to ask, do you prefer shooting alone or do you prefer shooting with other people? Well, I actually do prefer shooting with other people. Uh, I really enjoy sharing moments with people uh, I enjoy using uh, other people as a, 
a motivator as well. Like it's very hard to get up on your own uh, at three in the morning when, you know, it's very easy just to make the decision yourself to, to not do that. But if you've yeah, someone else into it, then, <laughs> then it's more likely to happen. So I think that's a big aspect, but I you don't know. It's really nice to be in these places and just go, how good was that, mate? That was just so cool. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, you, you can still do that to yourself, but it's not quite the same. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, I always try to do at least one or two trips a year. Uh, like say if it's a hiking thing or something like that on my own, just to, just to sort of have that, that connection. And, um, we had a guest on our podcast, Martin Hawes, who is a really very, very experienced, um, outdoorsman down here. And he, he, um, yeah, he the massive advocate for for um the, the solitude and and the the I think it, it's very hard to fully comprehend and experience a wild place um when there's other people there because you're naturally talking to them and and you're not fully taking in what's yeah, going you're not on concentrating so, on the experience as much yeah yeah but I, I'm not I'm not certainly not saying that when you travel with someone else your photos aren't as good or or anything like that in fact I really enjoy. Uh, working or shooting with other people and being very fortunate to photograph with some other amazing photographers and and understanding and seeing their process, uh, seeing the locations that they're seeking, which is quite different. I really enjoy shooting with my good friend, Ben Mays, mm. who um, he's very... Um, focused on the smaller scenes and the more intimate scenes and and I'm I'm not normally doing that and so it's really nice to photograph with someone else yeah. that has a different approach and and um help you to sort of expand your horizons a little bit there or, or maybe don't look at the horizons <laughs> and look yeah. down and and see the other see the other things so so certainly um both is is um just as good as each other and it's yeah. good to have a, a balance between that and, I, and I, I do feel like my balance is probably a bit out I should probably do some more stuff on my own and and um so yeah I'll, I'll have to make sure I schedule that in yeah I, I love shooting on my own but I also love the fact that you can be standing there with three or four other people and everyone comes away with something completely different even though you're there at exactly the same time you might even yeah you know be using the same shutter speeds and you know sim similar settings <laughs> oh it's it's amazing yeah although if you're at someone like Taramata beach on a saturday morning at least how it used to be you know it's hard to imagine anyone getting any other shots that other than it being the same so i think there's a there's always um there's always some aspect where everyone's after the same thing but um yeah. it's always good to have a you know in the mind that you know if you have seen it shot a certain way uh what can you do that makes it a little bit different different and, um yeah and that's that's certainly an approach i try and take as well nothing yeah. wrong with taking the hero shots either mind you oh yeah the the icons are iconic and yeah yeah they, you've got to get your own take on it and that's that's the thing the conditions might be different or the light might be slightly different so i i don't see any problem in uh, in in taking iconic shots as well mm. yeah absolutely um, we all have our horror stories what's yours oh um dear oh dear horror stories um oh horror stories i mean i've had I remember having a um, terrible time um, when I was flying from Iceland to Norway and didn't have a camera bag for a while and didn't have, well, it was, it was a big Aurora forecast and basically I didn't have a tripod. So, um, because the, my bag didn't arrive. And so I had to 
try and quickly scramble and find a tripod that I could use so I could photograph the Aurora that night. And I managed to find one with a, like the wind up handle oh, yeah, um, yeah. that, you know, like a, maybe a $30 Velbon one or something like that. Yeah, and and yeah. was using that. And that, that was definitely a, a, a bit of a, um, you know, a step, step backwards in, in that respect. But I mean, that's not really a horror story, but it was at the time in my mind, yeah. like I've come all the way around the other side of the world and, and, um, I don't have a tripod now and I'm here to shoot the Aurora, you know, and there was, you know, massive geomagnetic storms. These are yeah, like storms where you're looking directly up above you and, and the Aurora is raining down on you and you think you're looking at it all. And then you turn around and realize that the Aurora is 360 degrees around you yeah, type yeah. stuff. So um, you, you don't want to not have a, a tripod in, <laughs> in those moments. So anyway, um, yeah, that, that was, you know, that, that those sort of things can happen, I suppose. But I guess I'm, if I'm struggling that much, then um I guess I've been quite fortunate. I guess um, there's there's always things that go wrong. Uh, it's it's going to happen, and I think it's about I, I put a lot of effort in being prepared and having backups and redundancy and and those kind of aspects. But I guess if I'm thinking of horror, it's going to be something about and my nightmares are often I forget my camera bag or or I um you know someone steals my bag out the car or or something like that. It's always something to do with equipment not making it where it should. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm uh, a, a victim of my own uh, uh, doings. There, I, I left a uh, a tripod shoe on a different body, and went out to take some shots of a waterfall, and basically went to set up and went, oh, where's the shoe? It's not in the bag, not on the camera. Oh uh, well, I won't be oh. won't be shooting long exposures. <laughs> oh no. Damn. I didn't didn't enjoy that shoot much at all. No, no it, was, it was it made it even worse because it wasn't a straightforward hike. It was probably about a, a five or six k hike in, so ten k's in, you know, in and out, uh, all up to get there and not be able to really shoot what I what I'd envisaged. <laughs> oh well, it reminds me a bit of a, a shoot that I had earlier this year where um. I got in about the second day and my my boot started falling apart because I'd actually accidentally put on an old pair of boots rather than the new pair of boots that I I had um, bought for that walk. Yeah. And um, yeah, basically spent the rest of the walk wondering if my, my boot was going to fall apart and have to walk out um, just on my socks or something like that. So um, certainly not the the place you wanted to be doing that but yeah it's um it doesn't definitely um um, doesn't matter how long you much you prepare and sometimes it's just um you know these things happen (laughs) what's the practice of photography taught you about the world um it's taught me that it's a very beautiful place and um that that you can find beauty in in all sorts of areas it doesn't have to be in the wilderness it can be in a suburban environment um and you know while the world is you know looks like it's going down the toilet pretty quickly it doesn't mean that um there's places that you know aren't just the way that they've always been there's not not as many and, and there's a lot of people trying to to make sure that there isn't anything left but um it's really nice to know that there's these places that exist and and that the world still is you know um doing what it does and then certainly the natural world and um these places are there for us to enjoy and and for us to experience but they're also there for us to protect as well and yeah. it's really made me keenly aware of 
ensuring that that um, these places, uh, you know, that we like to photograph uh, are protected and looked after, and and we're we're custodians and for for those places. So that's certainly a big les lesson that I've had around um, what's in the world and and how it works. Yeah, definitely. And also, I guess um that I've also learned that you know people are amazing and and you know most people that i've dealt with in photography are, are just the most incredible people um so there's always going to be a few um bad eggs along the way but um you know the the, the amount of amazing people that i've met um just are, you know all around the world and and doing this and and being able to you know meet someone and just start talking about photography and it's just a such a great um icebreaker or you know uh way to get to know someone um, that's also sort of helped me to understand that you know people are people are awesome and and people are really genuine generally trying to look out for you and 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 help you in your journey and uh and, and that, that's been an amazing thing nice nice um, talking about the environment, have there been places you've been that you've seen deteriorate or seen changes in over time uh, since you started taking uh, photographs? Yeah, I think that's um, there's definitely some places like that. There's um, like Iceland was really noticeable from I think I went there in 2014 and then um, or 2013 and then I you know I went back in 2018 and and it was quite remarkable how much that place had changed even just in a few years in terms of you know car parks where they weren't and yeah. areas and and things that you know that it just felt less wild and and it felt a little bit more um organized and structured i suppose yeah. and tasmania has that happening as well there's certainly other places that that have changed quite a lot even going to i went to kangaroo island as i mentioned um earlier and i hadn't been there for quite a long time and and that had changed a lot of, also through fire but um also just through the development that's been going on down there too which is, is a natural thing uh but yeah certainly places some places are more degraded than they should be um because they've just become too popular or, or over popular and and there hasn't been the right right amount of um restriction or or um you know control over access to those particular yeah. areas as well um, there's also places that people say are, are, are targets for that and and they're not or or they they're overstated as well so it go, does go both ways but in general yeah. um that there's definitely uh, that that trend uh, and but i'm also of the opinion that um you know everyone should be able to see these places if they would like to see them if they have can treat it with respect and and also get their um you know in, in the right way you know mm -hmm. and researching things understanding what's what's involved and and doing you know being respectful about it um, unfortunately it's not really i think a lot of the time photographers at all that, that cause the damage it's actually ah. the people that the photographers inspired um by by posting their images so i think uh, you know other photographers get get a lot of flack for for causing the damage but it's really the 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 people that get inspired by that and and so it's it's a, it's a really challenging space to kind of wrap your head around that you know I'm I'm trying to create work that that is beautiful and people can connect with and mm -hmm. often when people see something that's beautiful they want to see it for themselves as well yeah. Um, yeah. and so you're you know inadvertently I guess if you're an influencer you know you're influencing people to see these places Definitely. and so we we have to be very careful with messaging um, and, and and communicating 
uh, where sensitive locations are. And, and um, I actually worked on a, a decision matrix on on what um, what what uh, parameters um, are, are there to to and how much to reveal about where a place actually is. But uh, okay. in general, if it's got a car park and and you can shoot from the car park, it's generally okay. If you have to go in on a big hike and and um, no one knows where it is already, then it's probably a pretty good idea just to shut up and and just let people enjoy the picture. So yeah, if there's um, if there's can... no trail, don't talk about where it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, def definitely, and you don't even, you don't have to it, like. There's no need to even mention it. Um, you can still no. talk about what's in the image. Um, but th this. Kind of no need. I think a lot of people naturally uh, feel like there's a um, they have a right to know if it's up online, but it, it's it's definitely not not the case. I, I wrote something once, you know, that there's no shame in um, not revealing a location's name. You know, it's not a uh, you don't have to have to do anything if you don't want to. So um, and you can always just tag it something as Tasmania if you had to, or, or the national park, yeah, or whatever as well. Yeah. So. You don't have to be so specific with things, and so that's yeah. definitely a lesson I've learned over time. I, I definitely was much more naive when I was, when I was, um, uh, you know, posting earlier on when I was still pretty green and fresh to it all, and and um, you know, definitely changed my approach since. But yeah, there's definitely um, everyone is an influencer if you're putting out out shots uh, online. Um, doesn't matter how big your audience is if you've if someone's seen it, you've influenced them in some way. And so um, everyone has a responsibility to a degree to to message um, responsibly in in the images that they're putting out there, Absolutely. and um, both from a safety perspective and access, but also from looking after the place when they're actually um, going to if they want it, if they choose to visit. So um, yeah, it's a. I think it's getting a lot better that way, uh, but uh, and people are getting more adventurous these days too. There's a lot more information out there about how to. You know, do do these sort of trips and and where to go and and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a that that sort of question and the love to death kind of aspect and and talking about that kind of thing is a is a discussion for the ages. Really, it's a it's Definitely. always going to be a, a a challenge for any landscape photographer that that's you know I can't um say people shouldn't go there. I went there, so what right do I have to say that? That's so exactly. Yeah. It's more more um more about um. Uh, being responsible about it because you know I, as I was saying I, I put a lot of time into planning and working all this stuff out and so it's not mm -hmm. like I'm I'm just doing it flippantly or or just um yeah you know so so it's um yes yeah, definitely definitely something to consider mm, definitely definitely in terms of uh, I'd like to turn to the how now in terms of how you learnt your photo photography and uh, in particular your processing was that something that you uh, lent on mentors or did you just sort of pick it up as you went along and through trial and error and YouTube etc or yeah well um a lot of what I was learning um, it was almost, you know, when I was learning a lot of stuff there wasn't a huge amount on YouTube even back in the day um, I, I, the biggest, biggest game changer for me in terms of processing has definitely been luminosity masking and, and the Tony Kuiper luminosity masking panel. And I, I very highly recommend the Sean Bagshaw videos that go with that. It's probably been the, the, the key thing that I've gone through that's, that's given me the most capability or, or, um, 
understanding in terms of editing and i certainly needed that when i was shooting on those old canon cameras back in the day when there wasn't yeah, really the any dynamic, dynamic range, range to speak of <laughs> uh, so don't so, seem to need them quite so much anymore with the newer sony sensors yeah. uh, but uh, it's still very handy to have and um, lightroom's also got some aspects of luminosity masking baked in and so yeah I've, I've, I've spent money on tutorials from various photographers that i admire or were recommended to me in terms of um what to do and uh, i think that there's there's obviously nothing wrong with that you you want to be learning from the best in the world and and yeah, um totally. if they're able to provide that information to you then 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 that's great and that's just professional development uh and uh, you know i'm a big advocate for for seeking out people that that um that you like their work and, and asking what they do and and seeing if you can tee up a a session i, I don't actually have done haven't done that myself but uh, you know i often feel like i should you know there's no uh, i think there shouldn't be a stigma around that and Definitely. you're also helping out that particular photographer as well mm -hmm. uh in terms of you know making a living so everyone wins really That's right. uh, and so so then YouTube's just incredible now too. Like, I mean, if you yeah. want to know anything about anything, you just look on YouTube. So there's so much information out there, uh, but it's really nice to have a core sort of process that you kind of develop on. And uh, I, I like to think it like tools in the tool belt. You, you hear about li these little techniques that, that really work yeah. and you can pull that tool out if, if you need a certain look or, or you want to try and achieve a certain thing with the image. Um, and um, but you know you don't want to have so many tools that you can't choose which one you want to no, use. So um, you need it, to sort of like be discerning with that. <laughs> and you also don't want to be always using a you know a hammer every every time in your photo no, as well, right. and or overusing a particular tool when when you need other things. So so it's a it's a bit of a uh, an acquired sort of thing. Um, but editing for me is a very iterative process in Lightroom, top to bottom of all the sliders, mm. move all the sliders until it looks good. Um, I like love using uh, radial filters uh, as well, yeah. and to create um, a sense of depth, and um, and also placing light in certain or brightening up certain areas of the image, uh, and then yeah, luminosity masking and color adjustments and and other other aspects in in Photoshop. So, but I, I'm trying to do as much as I can in Lightroom these days, just because yeah, yeah. Um, it speeds the process up quite a bit. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, that, so that's yeah, I, I don't. I certainly enjoy the the capture process much more than the editing process, and my my very very extensive backlog of images to be edited it, it can attest to that. And yeah. um, I'm I'm one of my probably if you talk about failures uh, other than successes is that I've got a huge amount of work um, that I haven't shown people, mm. uh, you know, um, stemming back many many years that that i you know and i need to actually have some time to get to edit and and put it out there so uh that that's sort of uh are you are you home from the the shooting straight onto the computer and into edit mode or are you just leaving it and you backing it up obviously but leaving it for uh you know to uh to gestate for a bit before you get yeah into to it. have a bit of a marination theory yeah. i think um so I'm I'm definitely back up as soon as I get back. So my my golden rule is that you know when I'm out shooting, I don't wipe any cards. I take yep. a lot of cards with me, mm -hmm. and then I'll back up on the road if I have access to a laptop as well. Yep. Um, and then yes, everything's straight on the on the computer. And then if I can, I'll also then create a backup of of the files on my server as well. Um, after that. 
so that's the that's a given because there's you don't want to go out to the next shoot and then have the, some some card images on your cards and then you you don't know if you've backed them up or not yeah. so uh and <laughs> then yeah the card once i've backed it up it's, uh... yeah well, that's a that's a very good uh, very good um uh, approach for sure and um yeah but i that's very mood based for me with editing and i need to be in the right mood um or i need to have some often unfortunately it's i need to have a uh, an outcome in mind to, to edit something it's not necessarily yeah. something i'd do from a uh like a recreational uh kind of approach and like earlier this year i did a a, a very ambitious um project of 100 and 100 where i was posting 100 photos in 100 days wow. and I, I did that entirely to have an outcome for editing and, and forced me to actually edit some pictures because otherwise i find it very difficult to, to to do that so um so i have to sometimes play some tricks with myself to to make that happen and and very much admire people say like will patino who can just edit up a whole gallery of images and and just um and put them out there um out from a you know a, a three months of work or what have you it's um i, I would love I'd dearly love to be able to do something like that but it, my, my process just doesn't work that way so uh, and i think it's important to not try and shoehorn yourself into a process that it isn't no, definitely you've got to do fit what, into that. what works for you yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so so um but yeah definitely um more of a marinator and and trying to pick off bits and pieces there's still images in my mind that i know i've taken yeah that i would you know just think about editing and, and getting it out there and yeah. um and you know if i was hit by a bus that's probably the first thing i would think of as as like why didn't i do that so <laughs> um but that's that's all that's all you know you, you can't do everything and uh but yeah i do have an intense desire to to get more of that work out uh, and hopefully can it in 2026 or, or whenever that will be <laughs> in terms of printing do you do your own printing or are you using a service or yeah well I, I work with a print lab called full gamut but down here in hobart um they're, they're absolutely brilliant shout out to them uh but they they have really have looked after me and, and i use them they actually are the only authorized printer to print peter dombrovskis well i don't know if it's yeah. actually true if they're the only one but they print peter dombrovskis's work um yeah. and with, with permission from liz dombrovskis uh and you know she she um gets royalties through that and all of that but um for me if it was like if it's good enough to print his work then it's definitely good enough for mine then Absolutely. so um so and but i also do print my own as well and i'm really happy with the quality that i get uh, i actually feel like it matches really well uh the quality that full gamut do um and i use um cans and papers and use the same papers and profiles that yeah. they do so that really helps as well but yeah i really enjoy printing i i don't do it um a huge amount but um when I do um, see that print come off, it's it's definitely a really nice feeling to to see it in in physical form. Yeah, I think there's something really satisfying about getting that, whether it comes back from the service or getting that paper out of the out of the printer and just seeing the image there, and you know, it it's got that tactile feel to it. Oh, it sure does. Um, be nice to have some more space to actually put those up and and be able to admire them more. But yeah. uh, I, I'm really uh, really want to get more prints listed up on my website so I can um, sell a few more of those and and um, get them onto people's walls would be really nice 
uh, and I'm hoping to have an exhibition next year and a few other things to to sort of kick off a bit more printing in that as well. So, um, but yeah, that's a that's a side of things that it's a bit uh, it's a bit of a, a mysterious area for some people when they're starting out. It certainly was for me. I I really had no idea what to do. Like and art. I, I, yeah, I feel a lot more confident with it now. Um, and if you have the right process with your color management. Um, and a really good printer, either a lab to work with or, or buy your own printer. Um, I, over, and I've got an ISO calibrated monitor as well, which really helps. Yeah. Uh, then, then that's all going to tie together really nicely. And and um, now, if I see the image on the screen, it, that's exactly what I see on the paper. It's it's quite amazing, really, to to yeah. see it come through so clear and um, sharp and and the same colours. It's, it's it is quite a joy. Mm. Excellent. Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle it? Oh, I definitely have. Um, and I remember I actually messaged, um, I think I'd just been on a workshop with Peter Eastway um, mm. and the, the um, oh, it might have been the, back in the day there was the focus group and we did a, a trip and Peter was on it. And the... Um, I sent him a message afterwards actually and said, you know, Peter, I'm going through this um, bit of a, a funk and I'm sure you must have had something similar over, over a period of time. And, and he, um, he said, yeah, well, why don't you just try doing something a bit different like black and white or, yeah. and, um, and then I was like, yeah, no, that's a great idea. So I actually did a lot more black and whites and, and got into the infrared and, and things like that. And, and that really gave me a big kick. And, and so I think for me, it's, um, about just if, if if you're finding it challenging then then try maybe doing something a little bit different um i have to admit that hasn't happened for a long long time the only issue i really have now is more about burnout yeah. <laughs> and having time for things um i've got a endless list of things that i could shoot and um and i, I i'm fully expect that I will shoot those things one day so um so from that perspective I don't think it's creativity that's a limitation but certainly if, if people out there are struggling with it it, it, it is real and uh, a lot of the time it's because um, maybe you need to find a project or you need to you need to find an outcome for what you're trying to create and and like maybe you want to do a book or maybe you want to like uh, a gallery on a website or, or a yeah. you know virtual exhibition on online or you know, have a have a, a product or something that you want to create with the work um a body of work and and maybe work with that uh, or get a camera converted to infrared or start shooting some astrophotography um there's there's all sorts of other things you can focus on that that can change uh the, the it might be an interest thing you might might have lost interest in the things that you were doing and you need to have a a fresh hit of dopamine somewhere else definitely <laughs> definitely <laughs> great advice um in terms of projects what's next for luke uh well um i'm i've got a few workshops coming up i've got one coming up with my friend ben mays in the tarkine and one with paul in the tarkine as well mm. it's getting slammed at the moment unfortunately with a hundreds of millimeters of rain so hopefully it's still in decent enough nick after that yeah. uh and then um also and heading to king island which should be really fun nice. on a workshop with ian rolf who's run about 25 workshops over there um mm -hmm. so that's he obviously knows it very well so that's and i've never been there so i'm really excited about that uh and i'm running that with paul as well and then um i'm currently doing a lot of photography for 
uh, Great Walks of Australia, which is a, a yep. you know a umbrella marketing agency for um, commercial bushwalking experiences. And so, okay. um, yep. I've got a couple more or three more of those uh, coming up as well. Um, which is, is for me, it's really amazing because I, I love bushwalking and I love um, photography, and yep. so it's pretty incredible to be able to actually get paid to go and photograph people bushwalking and and um, you know the having dinner dinner and all of the various activities and things that they do through yeah. that time. So that, that's been really rewarding work. And then um, at the end of the year, I'm heading off to Antarctica, which is also very wow. exciting. So um, very jam-packed back end of the year. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's very, you know, all, all, all good things. How, how long are you uh, heading down there for? I'm in Antarctica for 38 days. And so wow. I'm, I'm working with um, Sony, and yep. with uh, Intrepid down there, um, which which um, the, those guys have put a partnership together, uh, and I'm uh, yeah very fortunately doing three voyages down there, so uh, it should be pretty intense again. But uh, obviously, not going to say no to an opportunity to go to Antarctica, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's over Christmas and New Year's. So Christmas is all certainly will have come at once there, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, very fortunate and. Yeah, very grateful for for the opportunity. Yeah, amazing. I'm uh, I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly. I never thought I'd actually get down there, so it's um, yeah. quite remarkable, I suppose. Um, you know, doing this landscape photography gig is um, definitely I wouldn't say a financial one, but it, from a lifestyle one and being able to see the world and um, being able to have a bit of personal freedom, it, it is quite quite amazing. And so I guess that's the that's the spin-off benefit, I suppose, of, of, of um, making that sacrifice in terms of having a consistent income and and um, knowing where all of your rent money is coming from and, and all yeah. of those kind of aspects. So, Absolutely. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing landscape photographers in particular right now? Ooh, um, I, I mean, I personally feel like it, it, I mean, it's, it's probably a controversial opinion, but I feel like the like uh, things getting too um, murky with digital art versus um, actual natural shot images, or however you would like to put it, uh, and you know, it, it losing uh, pe- uh, shots that represent uh, the world as it is, or, or you know, try to represent reality, whatever that word means. Um, I think yep. you know, natural is probably a nice word to use there. Uh, I, I personally feel like um, there's a, a risk that people will look at landscape photography and, and just start feeling like um, nothing's real anymore. And I think yeah. that's a real shame. Uh, I don't know. There's no real answer to it. And I, I certainly don't judge people that, that um, do um, create amazing um, images. But uh, yeah, I, I do I do get a bit worried that, um, you know, the, the general public might uh, start to get disillusioned although um, maybe they don't care maybe they're just happy to see something beautiful and, and it doesn't really matter if it's actually what was there or, or someone's created it um, you know ignorance is bliss sometimes I suppose maybe. so um, I, I probably like I don't think about that as much as I used to um, mm. I used to it used to really bother me now now it's just a, a you know I, I have to just think about what I do and and um just you know I know what I I know what my work represents and and hopefully people that see that can also appreciate that but um yeah it's hard for me to think of anything else in that sort of space other than 
other than that kind of an argument. Um, and it's the argument for the ages, really, anyway. Definitely. Um, and um, some would say that the argument shouldn't be made anymore. It's over. It's all talked about. That's the end of it. But uh, realistically, it's... Um, well, com it's, composites it's, it's, have been around since the beginning of photography almost. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, the Frank Hurley stuff and the Ans Ansel Adams himself, you know, he was yep. known for doing composites. And so I, 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 I'm not sure why there's ever been a, a real argument. I know that back in the day when Frank Hurley was doing some of his World War One shots, for example, there was quite a lot of criticism of his work because it wasn't necessarily reflecting what really happened, but then, you know, it definitely represented a vision of what was happening because each of the elements was, you know, maybe photographed separately. Um, not only that, I think the, the the technical challenge of doing that with the old uh, silver glass plates as, as well at the time was uh, mm. was probably uh, a fascinating experience in terms of working out how to put all them together. Yeah, I I sort of feel a part of it might even be to do with you know, is what we're doing art or is it like um, well, documenting it, yeah. a place as well? And certainly in the Tasmanian context, um, you know, there's certain photographers that I know very, very well that, that um, uh, you know, would find it completely abhorrent if someone was to go into a wilderness location in Tasmania and then create a series of composite images or, or manipulating the landscape in some way. Yeah. And one could say, well, that's, you know, that's kind of, people can do what they want and they absolutely can uh but the point being that you know the, there's not many of these wilderness places left and so yeah. the idea that we need to augment something that that is what it is naturally beautiful, um, yeah. uh, naturally beautiful and and um is in a, a in, you know um there's not many of these sort of places left and and we we still have to fiddle with those ones too i think is, yeah. is where that that sentiment no, I, I go along with that as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's quite an interesting um, perspective to have as well on that on that particular argument. But um, you can only you can well, I think argument's probably in the wrong word. It's it's just a perspective, I suppose. And and yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no real. There shouldn't be an argument. I think it's just more about. I think people get worried that others, uh, maybe the general public, are getting misled sometimes or, or whatever yeah. you. And I guess there's there's folks like me that put a significant amount of work uh, planning to get the Milky Way in the right place. And yep. if the Milky Way is not in the right place or, or the sun didn't do this or that, then I'll have to come back next year. Um, yeah. But then you could have someone else that turns up there and goes, oh, well, I've I shot just the Milky Way the Milky last night and that was great. So I'll just pop that there. So, you know, the... You know the, the the argument about how much does it matter, how much effort was put in to take the image, and yeah. and that's, there might be a bit of ego and emotion that comes along with that, perhaps. Oh, or definitely. is that um? But is there also like a you know uh, an aspect where um yeah it, it, you just have to come to peace with those sort of scenarios. So uh, yeah. it, that's where it comes it becomes a personal thing, I think. And you know what are you trying to get out with it? What do you enjoy about it? And and in, in that sort of example, I, I really enjoy when all the elements come together that you'd been planning to happen. And um, you, you just, um, it's one of the best feelings in the world. And so you, you really want to, that's why I do it. So, you know, yeah, I don't get that yeah. feeling when I'm in Photoshop dropping in a sky. So, no, that's right. um, so I guess that's, that's where my, um, where my view is on that, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, it's again, no criticism to people that do that. But um, yeah, it's just, oh, it'd be a it's boring just a world if everybody agreed with one another, wouldn't it? 
Well, that's very true. It's very true. So, um, and um, yeah, and, and it is nice that there's people out there that can really just let loose and and really create these most amazing scenes. So, it's, yeah. it's all it's all good. <laughs> what do you like to do when you're not out shooting? Ah, well, I mean, what do I do? I mean, I, I, I mean, I work on my business a lot, so I, I'm always. There's no shortage of work. Let's let's put it that way. But I, I do go out, like going out on walks. Um, I like going out, um, catching up with people, and and that kind of aspect, being a bit more social. I suppose my, a lot of my work is travel. So generally, when I have time off, it's actually at home on the couch or or try not to do too much. That's sort of my idea of a holiday, I guess. So I can't really even go on a holiday because if I'm somewhere and there's a beautiful sunset, um, it's just incredibly hard to not. Um, take advantage and and um take some shots. So, um and you know if, I, if my I work, want to go on a holiday somewhere that. beautiful. Um, so it's going to happen. <laughs> so it's a, I, I'm a bit of a nightmare to go on holidays like traveling with because um it's you can't really it's very hard to disconnect with that. Um, yeah. so yeah, for me, um, it's a lot to do with um, yeah, uh, just resting and relaxing and um, yeah, I don't know what else do I do um. That's probably about it. I love to get into gardening more and, and those kind of aspects too. But um, yeah, it's it's just finding the time. Uh, I guess one one could say that um, when you've got a whole bunch to do, um, you you fill in all of the gaps with other things that you needed to do. So there's not much of that, and and that's where the burnout can come in. So it's yeah, also yeah. a matter of um, trying to balance that as well. So um, yeah, when someone has the perfect formula, let me know. I'm I'm very keen to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely like to hear it too. <laughs> Are there any photographers out there you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Um, I have to admit, I don't um, know your back catalogue ex extensively, um, but certainly um, my my friend Paul um, and Nick, uh, they're, um, they'd be brilliant to talk to. Sure. Um, I think you've spoken to Ben um, before. To ben. Yep. Yeah, and um, Will as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th those guys are great. Um, have you spoken to someone like Ben Good in Sydney, in in um, South Australia, I've, or I've hit him up, but I yep. uh, haven't got him booked yet. So uh, okay, yep. And Dylan uh, Toe as well. Sorry, go on. Dylan Toe is um fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, have a look photography. Um, yeah, there's there's I could I could go on for for many many um, years with that, <laughs> but um yeah there's there's um you know uh, you know I pretty much recommend anyone that we've ever had on as a guest and you know we're we're always um we're in this, a similar sp space I suppose oh, in terms of... don't don't worry I'm always combing your list as well as uh, <laughs> national well yeah no it's always it's always nice to to um see who's who's also open to to talking and, and you know it's not everyone that that um is is as interested as as others in doing it so no, so that's not. always nice and uh, I think um I know for myself I, I absolutely love talking about my journey in photography and I think most photographers love talking about themselves so oh, yeah. um, it's always a pleasure to be able to do that and and um, I, I love the idea that something that I might say might inspire someone else and so you know I really hope that that's also something that that comes through and and the the passion that that I have can maybe rub off on other people as well like um, oh. it has from other people that I've met so um, it's it's all um, it's really just nice a nice thing to to um talk landscape photography absolutely 
I've got one more question, and uh, for most of my listeners, it's probably the most important, and it's a it's a really big social issue. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Oh, absolutely. That's a. I didn't even have to flinch then. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love tropical burgers as well, like pineapple yeah, and burgers. Yeah, the yeah. pineapple on the burgers. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, not I don't, a burger, I don't, it's got pineapple on it. Yeah, I don't, there must be some chemical thing that goes on that turns people off so much or a textural thing or something like that. But Could it, be, yeah. I, certainly... I mean, I, I know pineapple juice has, if you marinate steak in pineapple juice, it softens the, the fibres significantly. So maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. Could be, yeah, some of the enzymes that are in yeah, there or something like that. Don't, don't react well with some people. <laughs> and also, I think they, the pineapple can make pizzas go a bit sloppy too sometimes if, yeah, if you, you haven't you you know, drained it or anything like that. Gotta, um, gotta yeah, it like on. bring it on. Like there's, that's, that's not a deterrent by any means. But having said that, I think you could probably put anything on a pizza and I'd still eat it. So <laughs> I'm a pretty big fan. So, um, yeah, there's no worries there. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today to talk to me, Luke. It's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit better and know a little bit more about how you do what you do. Where can people find your work? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I've got my uh, website, lukesharky.com, which is probably less updated than it should be, but there's also my social media, which probably is not updated as much as should be either, but at, at Sharky, um, and then also um, Twitter, Luke Sharky, and then confusingly on Facebook on Luke Sharkey photo but um yeah and that's the probably the best places to find my work across um those sort of areas um most active probably on um talking landscape photography at the moment <laughs> on on our YouTube channel um so you can look that one up as well so I'll make, I'll make um, sure all of those are in the show notes oh brilliant that'll be great all right fantastic thanks very much uh Luke great talking to you Oh, you're very welcome, Grant. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. Pleasure. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.